Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Marble Palace, post-media's look at Saskatchewan politics and the goings-on within the legislature. I'm Murray Mandrick, political columnist for the Regina Leader Post in Saskatoon Star Phoenix. Joining me as always, Arthur White Crummy, our uh, political affairs reporter for the Leader Post and Star Phoenix, and a special guest, an old friend. I don't think you've actually been on since this was Campaigniacs, but uh, we're so glad to have you back. Stephanie Langenager, uh, host of uh, the uh, Saskatchewan and Regina's number one uh, rated morning talk show. I have to say that. Uh, the morning edition from CBC. Uh, I have to say that to get her back on because we really want her. Uh, we're going to talk about Stephanie's interview with the Premier this week uh, because it was it was uh, a sensational interview and, and really insightful. Thank you for joining us today, Steph. I appreciate oh, it so much. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Happy to be here. Well, that's that that's that's good. You're not going to interview me, are you? No. Because I'm. It, it would make me sad too. So, Arthur, I'm going to start. Experience. <laughs> it was quite an experience. If you've ever been to the scrum with Stephanie, it's quite an experience. I, I guarantee that. Let's start with the numbers this week, Arthur. They're not good. And let's start with the policy as it relates to what we are doing, uh, sending uh, people out of province. Um, and I, I guess I'd like to ask you what you noticed in terms of the change of approach of Scott Moe, because I think to his credit, there is a significant difference this particular week in terms of how uh, uh, Scott Moe presented the situation compared with maybe how he's done it in the past. Yeah, so to start with the numbers, um, I, I, I mean, Scott Moe has really been, um, you know, emphasizing the decrease in case numbers that we've seen uh, over the past week or so. They're down, uh, I think now about 40, close to 40% from a high near uh, 500 down towards just over 300. Um, that being said, as the NDP and, you know, others have pointed out, cases have, or, 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 Test numbers have decreased by a similar, you know, amount, and we're still seeing very heavy pressures on the hospital system. 335 people with COVID in hospital, uh, very near record numbers. ICU still over 80. Um, we know that there's a delay on that, so as case numbers go down, we're really not going to see any relief uh, for some time. So the pressures on the ICU really forced. Scott Moe to make a move that uh, he's been delaying on, holding off on for some time. We announced, first of all, that he's finally requesting uh, staff assistance from the federal government, uh, and he's also going to be moving patients uh, to Ontario. The SHA is going to be moving patients to Ontario by airlift. One already left on Monday. As many as uh, six were expected uh, to leave this week. We don't know precisely where they're going, but we know that these are critically ill ICU patients that meet clinical guidelines to be transferred safely, but there are risks that come with this. Um, the approach, I mean, this is clearly something that Scott Moe didn't want to do. Uh, it looks uh, as though his approach to really uh, uh, try to manage the crisis within the context of the provincial health system has failed. He's had to accept that failure to a certain degree and be dragged kicking and screaming towards an apology. We got some of the way there during the uh, press conference at the Rotunda on Monday, where he admitted that he could have moved earlier, 
seven to 10 days on public health measures than he actually ended up doing uh, in September. And uh, Stephanie got him uh, quite a bit closer in her yeah. interview uh, the next day. So I'm sure that you two will be eager to talk about that. And, and let's ask Stephanie about that. And But first, can we background a bit? How long have you actually been pursuing uh, this attempt to get the premier on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Uh, uh, he hasn't been doing much media since the July 11th opening. I think we went a 54-day period where there was no government press conference of any sort or, or the other. What was the situation for, uh, for you? Because I think all media outlets have had a similar struggle in terms of getting direct answers from either the premier or health minister Paul Merriman. We, the last time the Premier was on the morning edition was May 5th, prior to coming on this week. And we had asked for him, I would say, half a dozen times, sometimes for, for a whole week. Like, for, you know, we could have the Premier on any day this week, just let us know. Um, so from May 5th to uh, this week. And up until this week, that uh, opportunity had always been declined. And uh, I want you just to talk about what you saw in terms of your interview. It's obviously tough to talk about an interview that uh, that you have just done. But what is it that somewhat surprised you in terms of the premier's approach, given the situation that we're in and given the fact that this was a, an opportunity to do uh, uh, is what Arthur suggested he hasn't done and and has been unwilling to do, which is simply to apologize. I think if there's anything I actually found really surprising about your interview and what was going on before is that he didn't speak directly to either the patients being shipped out of the province or their families uh, in, in terms of that. Uh, any thoughts as to why he took the approach in your interview that he that he sort of did uh, and 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 what you sort of learned from that particular aspect of the interview? Well, I guess one thing that I'd say about an interview as opposed to a scrum or asking questions at a news conference, and the reason that uh, shows, not just mine, ask for one-on-one -on -one interviews is because they're, as you well know, they're really different. They're different mm -hmm. animals. Having 10 people ask questions about possibly even different topics is a totally different experience for a politician and a listener than one-on-one. -on -one. And so I had been told at least once by the Premier's Chief of Staff that we wouldn't be getting a one-on-one -on -one interview because CBC had staffed a news conference that he spoke at. And the and what I, what I said in response was that, you know, he was on another radio station doing a one-on-one -on -one and they also had reporters at that news conference. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because what's different about it is that the same person can follow up obviously on on points and something that journalists know but maybe the public doesn't know is that a lot of time money practice and people goes into a politician refining his or her message track they spend hours and tens of 
hundreds of thousands of dollars on people and experts. As you know, Murray, when someone yeah. is firstly elected, they don't know how to do it. They're taught to do it. Um, I think our natural inclination as humans, for the most part, is to answer the questions we're asked, to tell to tell the truth, to be as honest as we can, be, for the most part. And um, what politicians do, and I understand the motivation, is they put the best possible spin on their policy or their actions or what's happening in the province. We used to joke about job numbers every month from Statistics Canada, and you couldn't see more wildly divergent views on the same exact same numbers from Statistics Canada as to see the opposition in the government write out the their version of the employment numbers, right? Um, so, so it's helpful to do that one-on-one -on -one interview so that you can chisel through some of the message track that you know a politician is going to do. And so for the interview with the Premier, um, I had listened to the Scrum in the Rotunda on Monday as best I could, and also talked with Adam Hunter, who, as you know, covers politics for us at CBC Saskatchewan, to know what Scott Moe's main message points were. And Adam said um, that he had talked up about um, the how quickly Saskatchewan got the vaccine mandate going once it decided to do it as something that he was particularly proud of. And then I also knew from questioning and from social media that the government, as Arthur said, was touting falling cases. But we also know it's really hard to get tested in Saskatchewan. And we know that Susan Shaw has said, Dr. Susan Shaw with the Health Authority has said that some 55% of people show up at hospital super sick and they're just testing positive for the very first time so we know testing is down and what doctors say matters is that the icus are full and way back when we were banging pots and pans and putting hearts on windows the whole point of all of this uh, you know according to the premier and dr shahab our chief medical health officer and everyone everywhere was that we weren't going to eliminate covid cases but that we were going to bend the curve sorry i have dogs playing with bones that we're going to bend the curve um some might say that i'll get in on that dog with a bone later but uh, <laughs> And we didn't do it. This week was the admission that we didn't do it. We, if collectively our mission was to bend the curve so that our healthcare system had capacity to deal with sick people like kids who need surgery so that it reduces their chance of cancer or a woman with actual cancer aggressively in her face that has surgery canceled. That's what we were all trying to avoid and we didn't do it. So the advantage of having Scott Moe on in a one-on-one -on -one was to get to ask him about that and to be able to follow up directly on some of the things that he wanted to say that needed to be fact-checked. And so I guess what I was surprised about in the interview is as you say that it was as uh, as much positive spin when there would have been i think for most people in saskatchewan a fairly positive reaction to some ownership and contrition about where we're at because i think is, most of us feel yeah. bad about where we're at even if we didn't really have anything that we could have done about it and arguably the leader of the province has the most that he could have done about it and the things he's doing now he says are working so why didn't we do those things sooner this is what fascinates me and i'm going to uh, for context go back to arthur for a moment because he did address it somewhat in monday's press conference because he was asked very directly as premier uh do you regret 
not moving more quickly in terms of this. And Arthur, his response, can you explain that? Because in, in essence, he said, possibly maybe we could have moved a week earlier. I don't know how that response necessarily satisfies anybody, but what was this precise wording? I'm trying to, 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 to best of your recollection off the top of your head in terms of how he, he framed that particular aspect in terms of the timing of the, re, the, the reaction or timing of the, uh, uh, the decision-making process, I should say. Yeah, there, there were a lot of qualifiers, Murray, and I'm not going to yeah. quote directly here, sure. but uh, uh, based on my recollection, it, it, it was that, uh, they, they, it, first of all, he started by saying that it was a fair question to ask, yeah. uh, and, and I believe it was only on the second approach that, that he actually acknowledged that, that, that there may have been something approximating a mistake here. He said uh, that, 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 that they may have been able to move seven to ten days earlier on the public health measures that were announced uh, in mid-September, uh, from what I recall. And, and, uh, and uh, as Steph pointed out in her interview, that the, it, it, the seven to 10 days is really kind of uh, underselling the point. Uh, really, he, there was a lot of evidence that we had well before then uh, that, that, that at least from a public health perspective, this was uh, the decision that was most likely to to really prevent us from getting back to, to the state that we are in today. I mean, there was a letter in late August from all of those medical health officers who were calling for precisely that action and more. Uh, so what he really stressed was, you know, we, 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 we saw the proof of vaccine requirement come into place earlier than most other provinces, but the masking measure was 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 really quite tardy. Uh, and 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 uh, the 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 same thing goes with the request for FedEx for you know for those public for uh, those staff resources coming from the federal government. I mean, we knew that the SHA was desperate to have assistance uh, quite a bit earlier than uh, Monday, which is when uh, that call was finally made. Uh, and on the same level, he said well, that 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 potentially could have been done earlier. But the problem here is that it, he's being dragged into this so gradually that he really has to make acknowledgement after acknowledgement as things get worse and worse. If he were to just get it out of the way all at once, once. I think Steph is right that showing that kind of contrition for what has been for the mistakes that have been made so far in a fulsome way would be more effective than dragging it out press conference after press conference interview after interview as the situation gets worse yeah well, well let, 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 let's go back to steph for that for a moment and, and join me in the time machine for a moment steph because you and i covered politics for a considerable length of time together when you were the legislative reporter uh for cbc uh we covered uh, various governments uh the, you know the ndp government we covered brad wall uh for those out there uh, that think that Scott Moe uh, got pretty harsh treatment from you, whoa, baby, you weren't around at the time. You've been, you've been doing this well for years and and fairly and, and aggressively as you should be doing uh, for various uh, premiers and governments. But here's one difference, uh, notwithstanding uh, what however the NDP did, let's just move ahead to Brad Wall because Brad Wall had an ability, I thought, to handle these situations in a way where 
he would offer some level of out for himself, some level of apology. He used to do the Fonzie thing where he said, well, I can't say I'm wrong, but I was wrong. It seems at times that Scott most sincerely can't do that on this particular file, which is so off brand for him because here's the humble farm boy. I guess some would call him the fumble farm boy, the humble farm boy that uh, that doesn't necessarily think so highly of himself or so that he can't make any mistakes. This this is how he became premier uh, because he was the common guy that was going to be elected and, and uh, give true to what for. Why do you think that the SAS party has abandoned what I think worked really well for Brad Wall, which was sort of an acknowledgement that we're not perfect as government. We're going to uh, make mistakes, but we're going to strive for better. And uh, that somehow along the line, that seems so difficult, for, as, as Arthur said, for Scott Moe to say, even in your interview, which, by the way, did come as close to an apology as I've heard so far. Uh, it, it's, it is, it like Arthur said, it, and it's like uh, Brad Wall used to say, pulling hen's teeth, although hens don't have teeth. So anyway. why would I mean, some some people told me I shouldn't have bothered asking him if he was sorry or how much responsibility he took because they they just want to know what he does uh, in the future. That's all they care about is what action does he take going forward. And that to ask for an apology was kind of a political thing for me to do. I asked anyway, because I think what and to your point, uh, even though people do care about what governments do, they also care about what they say and how their leaders appear to relate to us. And as you say, Brad Wall was a pretty great natural politician um, and knew when to say what people wanted to hear. And he knew what to say, what people wanted to hear on crown corporations and selling those, even when he didn't really believe it in his heart of hearts, right? He admitted that. I mean, his policy was crowns critic. They didn't believe at all that we should always own the crowns. But when people said loudly and clearly that they weren't up for that, he he was able to front that in a way that the previous leader, Ellen Hermanson, could not, right? Ellen Hermanson was resolute in true ideology, what he really believed. And Brad Wall was more of a, some have said he's like a retail sales kind of politician. He just was able to adapt to what he was hearing on the front lines on the sales room floor, say. And I don't, I'm not sure why the current premier or those advising him can't see that you can defend what you did do to the best of your ability while also admitting what you didn't do and that people would probably, most people would probably like you better for it. This isn't is it budget debate. This is people's lives. And I think that's where some people are tired of trying to um, score points by anyone on this. Well, that, that that's an interesting point. And I guess it leads us to the what's next part. And I, as we wrap up, I guess I'll, I'll start with you, Arthur, in terms of the difficult what's next questions. We know that we're shipping people out of province for ICUs right now. We know that the government bizarrely looked at bringing in uh, medical staff from all over the United States, which seems far less practical to me than actually uh, accepting the federal government author, offer, even if it was uh, a, a slight offer in terms of how staffing available, uh, to get whatever staffing was uh, was uh, Canadian staffing uh, into this province that they could from either the Red Cross or the Army or elsewhere to start dealing with this. What's next for 
for Scott Moe and the, and the government, both in terms of addressing the needs related to the ICU patients and sending uh, people out of province, but in essence, I guess how they justify what's happening right now uh, in the province, given it's been really hard uh, for them to reach this point. And as, as I think uh, Health Minister Paul Merriman said, this was something that we didn't anticipate doing and didn't particularly want to do. Well, uh, what's next for the time being is more, you know, pressures on the ICUs and more patients being transferred out of the province. And at least we're getting fairly transparent information on 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 how that's going. And we finally do have biweekly logistical briefings uh, from several ministries and the SHA that at least is going to keep us informed about how that's going. Uh, so, so, so we'll continue to bring that to people. In terms of further policy, I mean, uh, in an earlier uh, briefing with Dr. Shahab, I mean, he said uh, that he's going to be looking at two things in terms of uh, potentially recommending uh, further public health measures. He's going to be looking at cases and he's going to be looking at critical care. Uh, and that's really nothing new. Uh, he didn't provide any thresholds that are going to tell us uh, when we might uh, meet the, uh, the his requirements for making a further recommendation. And again, we don't know whether the government is going to listen to it. They're, they seem to be continuing with uh, the, the, the typical incrementalist approach. The latest measure that we saw was just a very slight expansion of the proof of vaccine requirement uh, to uh, to fast food restaurants and uh, uh, and you know liquor off sales, which is still uh, far. Uh, Stephanie, I'm going to leave the final word to you uh, because uh, 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 I think he's hungry. Uh, he's can you hear the, the Can you hear the dogs kicking the can down the road? I, I think the dogs <laughs> kicking the can down the road. Uh, I think one thing that I don't want to get lost in from your work on Tuesday was the uh, the uh, uh, the interview that you did with Dr. Masri because I think he's outlined mm -hmm. that what next question very good. He is talking. This startles me. And he he talked about thirty to fifty patients having to be shipped out of province. And I think in your interview he raised it to sixty. But I thought he made a pretty profound and moving statement at the end of your interview about how. This isn't political. The government did okay in it and pretty well in its first and second wave and okay in its third wave, but it's handled the fourth wave terribly. What was his message? And in, in your mind, why do you think that that message from do emergency room doctors like Dr. Masri have, have, have not been uh, resonating with this provincial government in the way that they should be? I'm not sure why those messages aren't resonating. I, I, I would think that it would be best for any politician to have avoided where we're at now, where patients are being taken out of Saskatchewan for the best care available. Because I think if we, if Dr. Masri is right, and the only way to really make a dent in the overextension of our hospitals is to send 30 to 60 people out of the province, then it's likely some of those people aren't going to come back. Mm. I, I, I think yeah. I think that I think that's the case. And I, I just think this is a terrible situation for us to be in as a province. And 
uh, what Dr. Masri is saying and what all those medical health officers said August 26th was, we don't need to get there. We don't need to have you expand ICU to 175 so that there's room for more critically ill patients. We need you to have an indoor mask mandate, limit gatherings, which still hasn't been done as of this recording, in order to prevent the healthcare being on the brink of collapse. Um, and we didn't do it. We didn't do it. We didn't do it in time. Yeah, and you you wonder what's next. I wish we could talk more about this because it's been great conversation. I, I hope we've given some uh, the, the the viewers some insight as to how these stories happen and how these interviews happen and and uh, and, and why we approach things the way we do. Uh, Arthur, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us uh, this particular week. It, 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 it has been fascinating and fun. And I guess we'll see everyone next week on Inside the Marble Palace. Thank you.